Prophetic events are unfolding rapidly, keeping us watching global events with vigilance. And today, I want to examine the challenge of maintaining godly character because there's so much apostasy and even scoffing going on in the churches, as well as great confusion on every side. In the midst of it all, the Lord expects us to put on the full armor of God and to withstand in the evil day, not yielding to pressures and temptations of these perilous times. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Presently, we're living in the reality of Romans 1.28, which states that when a rebellious and brazen generation refuses to acknowledge God, God will give them over to a reprobate, depraved mind. When making that statement, no doubt the Apostle Paul had in mind Proverbs chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. They hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. So they will eat the bitter fruit of living their own wicked way, choking on their own evil schemes. You see, when a culture tragically keeps rejecting God, God will allow that society to destroy itself. He doesn't force people to reverence Him. He honors free will. Reverence for God helps us to see clearly. So today I want to look at 2 Chronicles 16.9, which says that God is searching the earth for true men and women. That verse says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The New American Standard Bible puts it like this, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Isn't that an amazing verse? God is going to show himself strong to you and me if we maintain a loyal heart towards him in the midst of many end-time temptations and deceptions. God actually scans the horizon for someone who is going to share his heart on matters. He doesn't look on the outward appearance but upon the heart, as with King David. David was the youngest son of Jesse, and often the youngest child is doted over and beloved. But David seemed to be marginalized in his family. His father didn't even consider calling in David from the sheepfold. When the prophet Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king, David was misunderstood and resented by his older brothers. They called him a mischief maker when he was sent by his father on an errand to the battlefield. No one in David's family seemed to recognize his heart and character. But God knew David's heart because David had enjoyed intimate fellowship with God out in the shepherd's field. In fact, the scriptures testify that God found in David a person 
after his own heart. Psalm 89 says that God searched until he found David. This implies the great scarcity of character. And God testified that he found David in the sheepfolds, a very humble existence. But God saw there one who was qualified for the high office of rulership. Well, then David's precious qualifications were apparently hidden from the eyes of his family, but God saw and summoned David to service. So let's not be surprised when the Lord lays his hand upon some of our family members. God rejoiced when he found a man like David who possessed character. And even though David was just an unknown shepherd on the backside of Bethlehem, he had accumulated a secret history with God. He was known to God. We also must experience a secret life with God in the prayer closet, fasting in secret, and carrying out various acts of obedience. David had already accomplished exploits. By killing a lion and a bear, he protected his sheep from ferocious beasts. Yet, nobody knew anything about David killing a lion and a bear. David was forced to tell his story because King Saul just couldn't believe that young David was capable of killing the giant Goliath. So out of pressure, David revealed his secret life and experiences to King Saul. There are so many important works to be accomplished in these last days, but how few there seem to be who understand God's heart concerning Israel, concerning also the Arabs and the one new man of Jew and former Gentile grafted together into the kingdom of God. And I believe God misses the loyal heart of David in the churches today. But God said he would raise up the fallen tabernacle of David in the last days. And God has been raising up that symbol of David, that tent, where there was worship 24-7 in spirit and in truth. Raising up the fallen tabernacle of David and restoring the tent of David refers not just to worship, but also to evangelism, to gathering in the remnant of the Gentiles from the harvest into the sheepfold of God in the last days. We see that in Acts chapter 15. In the early church, a council was convened to decide what to do with all the Gentiles who were being saved. The question was, would they have to become Jews? But the apostles, Peter, Paul, and James the Just, who was the brother of Jesus, he had become one of the pillars of the early church. They ruled that the Jewish believers should not burden the Gentiles who were turning to God. In fact, James said all the prophets had attested that it was not necessary for Gentile believers to become ceremonial Jews. Instead, quoting the prophet Amos, James said the tabernacle of David was a picture of the church worshiping God in spirit and truth. The Apostle Paul was the same caliber of a loyal believer like David. And Paul had experienced a secret history with God. After his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, he testified later in Galatians 1.16 that he didn't immediately consult with anyone for guidance regarding God's call. He didn't go up to Jerusalem 
and talked to the apostles there at first, but instead he was taught by the risen Lord during his own retreat into Arabia. And Paul said he was caught up into paradise where he heard unspeakable words that he said weren't lawful to utter. He didn't blab his experiences like many believers boast ad infinitum on the internet. He didn't release a book or a DVD about his trip to heaven. God could trust Paul with great exploits. And Paul loved Israel and understood Israel's destiny so well that he even wished his own self could be accursed if only his brethren, the Jews, could be saved. And because David was a man after God's own heart and understood God's heart for Israel, God could trust David with building his kingdom. And someday soon when great David's greater son, Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, returns, he will rule from David's throne in Jerusalem. The land grant that God gave to Abraham was fulfilled not in Abraham's day, but in a great measure in David's time. And I believe it was because David's heart had pursued God and had comprehended God's heart for Jerusalem. In fact, David conquered Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. According to the topography of the land, Jerusalem lacks certain ideal conditions. But David understood that God himself had chosen Jerusalem. So David conquered the stronghold of Zion and he brought up the Holy Ark to Jerusalem. He was simply sold out to God's will and purposes. How tragic today that many leaders claim to be working for God, but unlike David or Paul, they don't comprehend the Lord's heart for Jerusalem. And they don't understand God's heart and timing for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. But when a person's heart is regenerated by the Holy Spirit and becomes aligned with God, he or she becomes God's beloved like David. A person after God's own heart understands God's end time purposes and certainly understands God's heart for Zion. Zechariah 1.17 declared that God would yet choose Jerusalem. And like David, God's leaders must understand that God has chosen Jerusalem and that Jerusalem is destined to become the worship capital of the world. That's why all eyes are on this city and consequently Jerusalem is coveted by Satan. And that's why so many people are plotting and scheming to divide Jerusalem from the Jewish people. But God will defend the city while sadly, doctrinal decline and moral chaos is spiraling downward in the church. Meanwhile, personal integrity amongst politicians and religious leaders has sadly been eroded. Believers are confused over vital issues involving morality, the family, discernment, character. Believers are in danger of biblical illiteracy. Jesus warned that one of the chief characteristics of the end times would be deception. And many just can't discern if a teaching or a person or a thing is on track or is off track because people just simply don't know this word. They're biblically illiterate. Unfortunately, the Bible is no longer the bedrock of many congregations. And so many are being led astray. 
But a true man or a true woman of God must be able to stand in the presence of the Lord to agonize over cities, to be an intercessor for nations and souls. The prophets Elijah and Elisha frequently made the bold statement, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Can we make such a bold claim? Are we able to say with a clear conscience that we can stand in the presence of the Lord as intercessors? Or does some act of disobedience create a distance between ourselves and the throne of God? Well, I want to encourage you with the fact that daily reading of the Bible brings many rewards and will help to keep us on track. And daily Bible reading brings a steadfastness and a faithfulness and an ability to hear from God and to know when God is speaking to us. When we daily, systematically take time to read this Word of God, we will receive enlightened rhema words. Those are living words that simply jump off the page and give us guidance and strength. I call these words from the Bible the Lord's fingerprints or the Lord's signposts guiding us with his eye upon us. We don't have to hear an audible voice. If we are reading this word, we will hear God speak to us. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. One day in Jerusalem, I sensed a deep quickening of the Holy Spirit when I heard someone mention the name of a certain Jerusalem village named for an ancient spring. And having heard that village mentioned, I felt that we were being directed by the quickening of the Lord to take the gospel to that village whose Arabic name retained the name of Job, the biblical character Job. It was named after the spring of Job or Job's well, where it's commonly believed that Job bathed after his miraculous healing and testings by God. Well, how reassuring that on the very morning of our outreach to that village, my Bible reading just happened to mention that very village where we were going. Numerous times our teams received similar confirmations about the towns where we held outreaches by reading about those towns and villages during our daily Bible readings. So, as faithful watchmen on the alert to protect God's eternal purposes in prayer, we must maintain a constant communion with the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is a way of life for real believers. David was a warrior and a king, but he was also David, the man of God who was in constant prayer and communication with the Lord. In Psalm 119, David said, Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Every believer should cultivate a multitask mentality like David to pray without ceasing while accomplishing everyday duties and even seven times a day pausing to praise God. That doesn't mean that prayer or praise has to be a formula. The number seven in that verse merely indicates frequency and completeness. Paul exhorted us in the epistle to the Colossians. He said, continue in prayer, watch with thanksgiving, praying also for us that God will open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Messiah. That phrase, continue in prayer, means to persevere 
to be steadfast in unbroken prayer, especially asking God to open doors. And so I pray for more doors of utterance, whether in Jerusalem, in Jordan, Egypt, India, Pakistan, all over the world, really, where the Lord has opened doors for us. And we cry out to the Lord of the harvest because we know time is short to save as many souls as possible before the rapture or the second coming of Jesus. Paul seemingly demanded the impossible when he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. I looked up the Greek in that short verse and the meaning is to pray without intermission. How is that possible to pray nonstop? But it's a way of life. In the morning, we wake up praying. Throughout the day, we pray for the Lord to sustain us, to help us and so forth. And we go to bed praying And if we awaken in the middle of the night, we're still praying. I believe pray without ceasing also pertains even to our dreams. We can actually take authority over situations and rebuke demons in the name of Jesus, even in the midst of a nightmare. I've done this several times in my dreams without having to wake up. We can also pray and commune with God while driving or walking, or we can redeem time by praying while waiting in a queue. And because we maintain an attitude of prayer, we're able to cast down imagination and thwart every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. As we are exhorted in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we're to take captive every wandering thought, every negative thought, every evil, unclean thought. We must rule over our thought life and bring it into obedience to Messiah. Now, because there's so much confusion in the body of Messiah in these last days concerning deception, I feel it's important to look at some verses on character because in the past couple of decades, there's been such an extraordinary emphasis upon charismatic gifts, but not enough emphasis upon developing godly character. So it's time to zero in on character. Let's consider 2 Corinthians 6.17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Also, Paul constantly instructs us concerning our conversations. In 1 Timothy 4.12, we're exhorted to be an example in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity. 1 Peter 1.15 exhorts us to be holy in all manner of conversation. And then there's so much instruction in the New Testament concerning our personal conduct. The third chapter of 1 Timothy gives us a description of a godly leader. And this is a trustworthy saying, Paul said, if anyone aspires to be a bishop or an overseer, he desires a noble task. An overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not dependent on wine, not violent, but gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. Furthermore, it says here that an overseer must manage his own household well and keep his children under control with complete dignity because if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how can he care for the church of God. 
Also, he mustn't be a recent convert or he could become conceited and fall under condemnation of the devil. And he must be of a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. So in this passage, Paul insists that believers and leaders are to be sober-minded and faithful to their marriage partners. Infidelity and treachery are far from the thoughts of a person of integrity. Let it be clearly stated that a man or a woman of integrity will never seek happiness at the expense of another human being by breaking up their marriage. Instead, they will guard their sexuality within the bounds of a lifetime marriage partner. Otherwise, any claim to be a believer is simply a sham. On the other hand, it's well known that false prophets often engage in sexual affairs, immorality, lustful appetites, broken marriage vows, and are characterized by pride, lying, deceitfulness, slanderous tongues, lying wonders, exaggeration, dishonesty, all kinds of financial scandals, and so forth. Satan succeeds in causing many promising believers to fall into sin. And although the Lord does forgive and cleanse us, if we've sinned, we have to fight off guilt because Satan absolutely delights in becoming the accuser of the brethren. He's always seeking to bring up our past failures or mistakes, and this can hinder spiritual growth and character development. When Satan accuses us, we must instantly begin to praise the Lord for his cleansing blood and confess, I'm only righteous because of the atoning blood of Jesus. Amen. The remedy not only is sincere repentance, but better still, let's be careful to watch and pray so that we don't give Satan an opportunity in the first place to discredit ourselves, our families, or ministries. May God in these last days have mercy on us and grant us wisdom and sharpen our individual discernment. Very few believers in the West seem to be aware that in order to be a disciple of Messiah, truly we must do as he said, and that is to daily deny ourselves and take up our custom-made crosses. And what did Jesus really mean when he said, take up your cross and follow me? I've learned that an individualized cross is that thing that denies and prevents our unrighteous desires and wayward ways. God has his way of putting his finger on something in our lives. And he tells us, get rid of that. And we get tested and proven. But my cross will be different from your cross. What may be a cross to me may not be a cross to you and vice versa. So we have to embrace our individual crosses to follow the Lord. Not many people are preaching this message, but the Apostle Peter said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're suffering as though something strange is happening to you. The tests that you and I are passing through in these last days aren't punishments. They are absolutely necessary for our spiritual growth. God desires to perfect us in the here and now because believers are destined to rule and reign with Messiah in the millennium in the near future when Jesus returns to run this world from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And he can't allow untested people 
to be in a position of co-rulership with him. A man or a woman of God may or may not own material goods in this world, depending upon individual callings. However, let it be said that a man or a woman of God cannot be a lover of money. We're truly free when we're content with whatever material goods we own and when we start to look for people to bless by sharing our material possessions with them. In this regard, I want to share some pertinent verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul wrote, Brethren, the time has been shortened so that those who buy be as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world, he said, is passing away. And here's a spiritual checkup in a single profound verse. 1 John 5, 18. Whoever is born of God does not sin and the evil one does not touch him. Fantastic. I think this little verse is so amazing because it says when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will no longer want to sin as a lifestyle and therefore Satan can't touch us because he can't get a foothold in our lives. But if we have sin in our lives, then maybe, yes, Satan can touch us because we've opened the door to him and consequently we've made a way for the devil to have access to us. But isn't this an amazing Bible promise that when we refuse to sin, then Satan can't set up a stronghold in our lives. He just can't touch us. Isn't that wonderful? I believe the more we comprehend this, the more we realize that as we walk straight before God in a holy manner, then Satan cannot harm us or bring us down. Hallelujah. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, and this is an exhortation for all of us in these last days. And it's been a very important verse in my life. He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That word watch here means to stay awake, to be alert, be in a state of concentration to fight off all distractions. You see, we have to struggle to control our thoughts and our bodies in these dangerous last days so that we won't make shipwreck of our faith and cause our lives and ministries to be eliminated. We must therefore train ourselves in various ways to watch and pray so that we will not be rebuked by the Lord when he returns unexpectedly. I hope today's exhortation has been helpful and has sharpened you in the spirit. My friend, I want to say all the signs that Jesus gave us are converging and warning us that he will soon return. It's my prayer that without delay, you will make sure that you have received the Lord Jesus into your heart. Have you done that? Have you received the Lord as your personal Savior? If yes, I rejoice. If not, I urge you to delay no longer. Romans 1.4 is a true saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, please share them with me on social media. I also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv 
where you can click online to receive our weekly email and where you can watch all of our videos 24-7. Don't forget, also you can see all of our videos at our free Jerusalem Channel app where you can also view our library. And please subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. Well, until next time, I'm Christine Dorick. I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Maranatha and Shalom.